Welcome or welcome back to the Company of the Cat. Hi, how are you? Today's video is Cat trying to understand the magical connections in this universe again. I think we have legit astral projection in the novels. In my video about the wells, I talked about how the trees, wells, and the moon seem connected and how the moon is a simile for the spirit. Through the weirwoods, greenseers are able to connect with the moon and look through it. The god on earth was watching all his kingdom from a pearl palanquin. Doesn't this sound like the moon? And his firstborn son was the Pearl Emperor, making again a connection to the moon since pearls are associated with it. We have many instances where we see the moon with eyes or looking from the sky or itself being described as an eye. Pale eyes moved nervously in a great round moon of a face and plump sweaty fingers wiped themselves on the velvet of his doublet. Once John thought he saw a pair of glowing eyes on a ledge overhead, as big as harvest moons. In their center was a carved moon face, ebony on the weirwood side, weirwood on the ebony. The look of it reminded her somehow of the hatchery in the Goldswood at Winterfell. The doors are watching me, she thought. Up above the treetops, a crescent moon was floating in the dark sky, half obscured by mist like an eye peering through a veil of silk. The hooded man lifted his pale moon face and John slashed at it without hesitation. The sword led the intruder open to the bone, taking off half his nose and opening a gas cheek to cheek under those eyes. Eyes like blue stars burning. And from the last quote, we can see that the stars are also watching them, and of course it is not the only quote of that kind. This I swear before the mother of mountains, as the stars look down in witness. Why would the stars want look down on such as me? Yours is the sun that warms our days, yours the stars that guard us in the dark of night. The last of the night stars had vanished, all but the pair dead ahead. It's two stars now, two eyes, said Denio. The titan sees us. The moon and stars look down upon the struggle. Their pale light filtered through the tangle of bare limbs that twisted overhead. He rode till dawn, while the stars stared down like eyes. I think these are enough examples. If I include every similar quote, we will be here until next week. But the question is, who is that is looking at them through the moon and the stars? And I think the question to that is spirits. The spirits of the people who have visions, the spirits of the dead, as the Dothraki claim, and more. The out-of-body experiences we have in this universe are literal astral projection, I believe, meaning that when they use their abilities, they literally see through the stars and the moon. And it makes sense, the stars and the moon are always above them and they look down on planetos. If there is a place where someone's spirit would be able to see everything from, that would be the sky. Duality is a big theme of the series, the opposite sides of everything are in fact the same by being direct parallels and by balancing one another. We have black and white, light and dark, day and night, fire and ice. So based on that, I think the as above so below is also a thing. The strongest trees are rooted in the dark places of the earth. No tree can grow to heaven unless its roots reach down to hell. To the people in our story, like in many mythologies in real life, the stars and the moon are located in heaven. But for Bran to fly, he needs to go underground. And it is the same for a lot of other people in our story. We have various underground places where people go so they can free their spirit. They blindfold themselves so they can see. And we have various blind people that are able to see more than just what it is in front of them. Even the little riddle we know about the one-eyed Blood Raven could be a way to describe the night sky. How many eyes does Lord Blood Raven have? A thousand eyes and one. Arya gives the best hints that people can see through the stars and the moon. In her Riverlands chapters, there are two quotes that not only have a double meaning, but also foreshadow her future. If she had the moon and the stars to see by, that was enough. And if it was true, I'd just fly away, fly up past the moon and the shining stars, 
and see all the things in Old Nan's stories. In both these instances, not only she is thinking of how the moon and starlight are helping her see, but also how she is going to fly up there and see the world as the stars and the moon do. And in a way, she eventually does that. When she was blinded as part of her training, she freed her spirit. While away, she commented on the difference between the Church of Starry Wisdom and their Lord worshippers, which parallels the duality of her own situation. As she made her way past the temple, she could hear the acolytes of the Cult of Starry Wisdom atop their scrying tower, singing to the evening stars. A wisp of scented smoke hung in the air, throwing her down to the winding path to where the red priests had fired the great iron braziers outside the house of the Lord of Light. Soon she could even feel the heat in the air as Red Roll Lord's worshippers lifted their voices in prayer. For the night is dark and full of terrors, they prayed. Not for me. Her nights were bathed in moonlight and filled with the songs of her pack. With a taste of red meat torn of the bone, with the warm familiar smells of her grey cousins, only during the days was she alone and blind. Her spirit at night is able to connect with Nymerias, who is on another continent. And this is why I believe that the humans and the children of the forest aren't the only ones able to remove their spirit from their bodies. The direwolves can also do that and see through the stars. We have some quotes that not only hint at that, they almost say it. We have a lyric from a song that they wrote about Rob's victory at Oxcross that read, And the stars in the night were the eyes of his wolves, and the wind itself was their song. We have John describing how Ghost was looking at the stars. The white wolf never howled, yet something drew him to the heights all the same, and he would squat there on his hint quarters, hot breath rising in a white mist as his red eyes drank the stars. And Bran also told us that the wolves sing to the stars. He liked to watch the windows begin to glow all over Winterfell as candles and hearth fires were lit behind the diamond-shaped panes of tower and hall, and he loved to listen the dire wolves sing to the stars. The wolves sing to the stars, just like the acolytes of the Church of Starry Wisdom sing to the stars. And all the priests and mages sing because singing and sounds are a way of weaving magical power. The series is after all named A Song of Ice and Fire. There must be a reason why people who skin chains into wolves have a different name. And to be honest, I don't think this name referred to common wolf skin changer at first, but specifically to direwolf ones, and that with time it came to encompass all of them. We see Varamir go into his normal wolves, and the description we get about them is definitely not the same as the one about the direwolves. And it is explicitly explained how direwolves and wolves don't just look different, they have a different howl as well. They sing differently. We even have a scene where Bran points out how Jojen cannot distinguish a wolf from a dire wolf. Maybe Jojen dreams green, but he can tell a wolf from a dire wolf. In the same book, we are told that to be a greenseer, you need to be a warg. You're a greenseer? No, said Jojen. Only a boy who dreams. The greenseers were more than that. They were wargs as well as you are. And the greatest of them could wear the skins of any beast that flies or swims or crawls, and could look through the eyes of the weirwoods as well, and see the truth that lies beneath the world. Apparently, to be a greenseer, you need to be a warg. Obviously, Bloodraven Wild South couldn't find a direwolf to bond with, but he spent almost two decades at the wall where you can find direwolves. And there is a possibility the mama direwolf that gave birth to the Stark Leader was sent by him. The eye color of the wolves is also a direct parallel to the children of the forest eye colors. All the children have golden eyes, except for the greenseers, who have either very green or red eyes. And the direwolves are the same. All of them have golden eyes, except two, Ghost and Sagi, who have red and green eyes respectively. And these two affect their humans the most. About Sagi, maybe it is because of Recon's age, 
But Ghost is the best trained among the litter, and John isn't a toddler. Ghost was the one that reached John when they found the puppies. Not the other way around. He was separated from the rest of his litter, and he didn't make a sound because he never does. He reached to John, and John didn't hear him. He felt him, he heard him in his head. And this is not the only time that it looks like Ghost slips into his mind. When he left the wall after his fight with Emmet in A Storm of Swords, he was thinking how much he wanted a family of his own. He wanted it, John knew then. He wanted it as much as he had ever wanted anything. I have always wanted it, he thought guiltily. May the gods forgive me. It was a hunger inside him, sharp as a dragon glass blade. A hunger. He could feel it. It was food he needed. Prey, a red deer that stank of fear, or a great elk, proud and defiant. He needed to kill and fill his belly with fresh meat and hot, dark blood. His mouth began to water with the thought. It was a long moment before he understood what was happening. When he did, he bolted to his feet. Ghost, he turned towards the wood, and there he came, padding silently out of the green dusk, the breath coming warm and wide from his open jaws. Ghost, he shouted, and the dire wolf broke into a run. He was leaner than he had been, but bigger as well, and the only sound he made was the soft crunch of dead leaves beneath his paws. When he reached John, he leaped, and they wrestled amidst brown grass and long shadows as the stars came out above them. God's wolf, where have you been? John said when Ghost stopped worrying at his forearm. I thought you died on me like Rob and Ygritte and all the rest. I've had no sense of you, not since I climbed the wall, not even in dreams. The dire wolf had no answer, but he licked John's face with a tongue like a wet rasp, and his eyes caught the last light and shone like two great red suns. Red eyes, John realized, but not like Melisandre's. He had a weirwood's eyes. Red eyes, red mouth, white fur. Blood and bone like a heart tree. He belongs to the old gods, this one. And he alone of all the direwolves was white. Six pups they had found in the late summer snows, him and Rob. Five that were grey and black and brown for the five Starks, and one white, as white as snow. He had his answer then. Here, unlike Bran, who is going into summer while awake, it looks like a hungry ghost went into John, who was thinking about what to do. He reunited with a weirwood colored direwolf under the stars and made his decision to stay at the wall, which apparently is crucial to the story. So at least for some wolves, the bond must work both ways. Ghost also has a bond with the rest of the wolves. John through Ghost reached uh, Shaggy Dog, who is in Skagos, as well as Nymeria in the Riverlands. Snow, the moon murmured. The wolf made no answer, snow crunched beneath his paws. The wind sighed through the trees. Far off he could hear his packmates calling to him like to like. They were hunting too. A wild rain lashed down upon his black brother as he tore out the flesh of an enormous goat washing the blood from his side where the goat's long horn had raked him. In another place his little sister lifted her head to sing to the moon, and a hundred small grey cousins broke off their hand to sing with her. The hills were warmer where they were, and full of blood. Many a night his sisters packed cork on the flesh of sheep and cows and horses, the prey of men, and sometimes even on the flesh of man himself. Snow, the moon called down again cackling. The white wolf padded along the man trail beneath the icy cliff. The taste of blood was on his tongue, and his ears ringed to the song of the hundred cousins. Once they had been six, five whimpering blind in the snow beside their dead mother, sucking cool milk for her hard-dead nipples, whilst he crawled off alone. Four remained, and one the white wolf could no longer sense. He reached them while the moon was calling him, and he can understand that Summer is not dead, but he cannot sense him either. Because Summer is in the opposite side of the wall. Ghost is the one that reaches them. 
the red-eyed wolf is playing the role of the Grimseer among the wolves. And this is the difference between the stars and the moon, I think. It seems like the moon has a connection specifically with the Grimseers. It is the moon that is connected to the trees, not the stars, even though both of them look down upon the earth. The stars have limitations, but it seems like the moon doesn't have as many. We even have a quote from John that hints at that. John could see the wall looming high and dark to the south, a great shadow blocking out the stars. The wall blocks the stars because the wall blocks the Wi-Fi, apparently. Bran, who is wired to the weirwoods, the trees that look like they are trying to catch the moon, has much fewer limitations. He is in the cave, where ghosts cannot reach summer, but Bran is able through the trees and by extension through the moon, most likely, to look everywhere and whenever. The direwolves are the icy equivalent to dragons, and the Starks have ice in their veins just like the Targaryens have fire. So the respective animal must be more than just a wolf, and it would be if the wolves themselves can see stuff. The Starks are the only other bloodline where we see animal blood. They have wolf blood like the Targaryens have dragon blood, and both these families also have a similar term about their visions, dragon dreams and wolf dreams. Danny, prior to the hatching of the eggs, was dreaming of Drogon and the pyre. She could hear it singing to her. She opened her arms to the fire, embraced it, let it shallow her hole, let it cleanse her, cleanse her and temper her and scare her clean. She could feel the flesh sear and blacken and slow away, could feel her blood boil and turn to steam, and yet there was no pain, she felt strong and new and fierce. She could hear the dragon sing to her, a song of fire. Similarly, the direwolves sing a cold song. Don't. She told him, Bran needs to stay warm. He needs to hear them sing, Rob said. Somewhere out in Winterfell, a second wolf began to howl in chorus with the first. Then a third, closer. Sagidog and Greywind, Rob said as their voices rose and fell together. You can tell them apart if you listen close. Catelyn was shaking. It was the grief, the cold, the howling of the dire wolves. The dragon dreams give hints, clues and ideas to the dreamers. And I think the dire wolf dreams do the same. They are talking to me, brother to brother, he told himself, when the direwolves howled. He could almost understand them, not quiet, not truly, but almost. As if they were singing in a language he had once known and somehow forgotten. The Walders might be scared of them, but the Starks had wolf blood. They tried to sing to the Starks. They tried to communicate and say something. For the longest time, I've been trying to understand that freaking instance. When Bran was watching Winterfell burn through Summer's eyes, because, yes, Arya through Nymeria has also described the smoke as a snake more than once. But that summer scene painted such a compelling image. Yet as one smelled through the moonward, others wore them back. He sniffed at the drifting smoke. Men. Many men. Many horses and fire. No smell was more dangerous, not even the hard, cold smell of iron, the stuff of man clothes and hard skin. The smoke and dust clotted his eyes, and in the sky he saw a great winged snake whose roar was a river of fire. He bared his teeth, but then the snake was gone. Behind the cliffs, the tall fires were eating up the stars. Not only does he not like fire, he is thinking of it as the most dangerous thing, like Melisandre considers ice the most dangerous. He is describing the smoke as spitting fire and having wings, not as pale snakes or other similar words to Arya's description. This looks like a vision of Danny's enormous pyre and the hatching of dragons underneath the stars. She could smell the odor of burning flesh, no different than horse flesh roasting in a fire pit. The pie roared in the deepening dusk like some great beast, droning out the fainter sound of Mirima's door screaming, and sending up long tongues of flames to lick at the belly of the night. As the smoke grew thicker, the Dothraki backed away coughing. Huge orange guns of fire unfurled their banners in the hellish wind. 
the logs hissing and cracking, glowing cinders rising on the smoke to float away into the dark like so many newborn fireflies. The heat beat at the air with great red wings, driving the Dothraki back, driving off even Mormont. But Danis stood her ground. She was the blood of the dragon, and the fire was in her. The pyre was described as a fire beast, like it is here, and the fact that it's a Dothraki custom, believed to send the deceased into the night land to become stars, adds even more to it. Even the phrase eating the stars is reminiscent of the bloody red comet. Wolf dreams give hints like dragon dreams give hints, and the Darugles themselves don't like fire just like the dragons don't like the snow and cold. Both sides have dreams and visions about the coming of the other. Melisandre believes there are only two opposite deities and that both Rolor and the Great Other wants to fight. If the people with the fire in their blood have dreams about the cold coming, then I bet the people with the ice in their veins have dreams about the coming of the fire. I feel like I'm saying this in every video, but fire is as bad as ice if it's out of control. And I think there is a reason why fire is associated with life, but also with colors like ash grey and black, which are the colors of the dark, but the cold, even though it is paired with death, is also alive with light. The others came along with a long night, but the dragons did as well. Both returned at dusk. We see the stars having connection to dragons as well. A bleeding star announced the dragons, but we also see that the stars guide Dani all the time. She saw her brother Aegar mounted on a stallion as black as his armor. Fire glimmered red through the narrow eyes lit of his helm. The last dragon, Sir Jorah's voice whispered faintly. The last. The last. Danny lifted his polished black visor. The face within was her own. After that, for a long time, there was only the pain, the fire within her, and the whisperings of stars. Quaith also communicated with Danny in her dream through the stars. She dreamed. All her cares fell away from her and all her pains as well. And she seemed to float upward into the sky. She was flying once again, spinning, laughing, dancing, as the stars wheeled around her and whispered secrets in her ear. To go north, you must journey south. To reach the west, you must go east. To go forward, you must go back. To touch the light, you must pass beneath the shadow. Quaith? Danny called. Where are you, Quaith? Then she saw her. Her mask is made of starlight. Remember who you are, Daenerys. The star whispered in a woman's voice. The dragons know. Do you? She is projecting herself through the stars. The astral projection in the novels is literal. Their spirit is visiting the stars. If this is the case, I think it's a great and very fun idea, since it keeps the series strictly fantasy, while being reminiscent of the sci-fi works of George, but without it being one. Because sorry, I don't believe that the series is a sci-fi one. I know that quite a lot of people think that Martin is messing with us, and it's a sci-fi one. I don't believe it. I don't think he has a reason to lie. In any case, I was going to make one big video about astral projection, but I want to keep it somewhat cohesive, so the next video is going to be again about astral projection and more specifically about glass candles, gemstones, fire visions and probably some more dragon dreams because fire. <laughs> this is it for today's video. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, press a like, comment, whatever you want to comment about. Join our ranks if you haven't and tune in for part two. Until then, bye!